Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, photos, videos, arguments, other observations on the world and its happenings at facebook.com slash ballisticradio. Hey, Joe. What's going on? It's so weird to be here in an afternoon. What? Yeah, I know. It's it's like the sun's been up for a while now. and That's uh, how the real world lives? Uh, <laughs> I guess. I, I'm not a good person to ask. I live a very, very charmed existence in many, many ways. I'm sure you know my schedule. Yeah. Jeez. I don't know how you do that, man. Um, but hey, guess what? What's that? This segment's also brought to you by Centurion Arms. Even if you're just a cook, a lowly, lowly cook. Are you calling tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease? You need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work, and Centurion Arms knows it too. Veteran-owned and operated Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. Whether you just need a new rail or barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rifle, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit CenturionArms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. So I am super, super happy to welcome back onto the show one of my very, very favorite people, Brian Hill. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Doing great. How are you doing? Oh, man, I can't complain. Uh, I especially can't complain with how uh, this year has been. It could be way, way worse. So um, thanks for taking time out of your afternoon to, to come on, man. I, I've been looking forward to having you back on, and it's, it's great that you're here. Uh, for those that don't know or missed your last appearance or uh, just are not aware of the awesomeness that is Brian Hill, uh, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Uh, well, I've been a lifelong coach. I started a, teaching in martial arts when I was 18, and I've run a martial arts school or done personal protection work uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, I've recently closed my mixed martial arts business, but now I'm doing shooting full-time and force readiness classes. Uh, I had a brief stint in law enforcement, which allowed me to direct traffic effectively and uh, check people into the jail. So that was always helpful. And I primarily focus on the best way to help people reach their own goals and achieve what they want to. Right. So I was I was lucky enough that I got to observe uh, a class down at the Complete Combatant, which is the company that you um, you run. And one of the things that struck me, you know, immediately, uh, the the class that I observed was a basic intro to pistols. So, like, as you're imagining classes. Um, this is the, what end does the bullet come out of? Here's how you load the magazine. Uh, that, that very first step class. And the thing that was incredible to me, and, and I'm, I'm 
desperately looking forward to taking some more of your coursework because this one I just observed, um, but was how much information I got out of that class specifically on how you communicate with people and how you teach people. Um, and I guess what I'd like to talk about a little bit with you is what what are your general thoughts or, or what has – I guess impacted your your coaching style that's gotten you to where you're at right now today. Well, it's, that's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, it, it's very different when you're a, a professional mixed martial arts coach because you basically take one human being that you care about a great deal and prepare them for battle with another human being who spends two months trying to figure every way to destroy the other person, and then you simply lock them in a cage with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does change the way you interact with people and how how you have to look at them as a, a, a triad. You know, a lot of times in coaching, we just think about the technical skills. But whenever we look at a person, it turns into either physical techniques, you know, their physiological reaction to stress, their psychological reaction to stress, and how they think and how they make decisions. And then also it is technical skills. So one of the things I try to do is always make sure that I spend time with the person as a whole and uh, really look at them and see how they uh, pay attention, how they interact, what's really facing them, what's their challenge, and how they could get better at what they're doing and how I can help them in the best way. Right. So, so bear with me on this because I, I'm going to try and ask a question. I don't know a great way to ask it, so hopefully – Hopefully you'll get what I'm asking. But one of the things, so I'm, I'm a member in several different groups that are dedicated to uh, instructors conveying information to one another about how they teach, right, and, and how they convey information. And I'm also very lucky in that I get to go uh, many different places and take classes with other instructors or, you know, something that, that is always very very much an honor when it happens. I have instructors come to some of the coursework that I teach and we talk about things like this. But I guess my question to you would be, oftentimes, especially when people are new to teaching, the questions they ask are very much along the lines of, how do I teach XYZ? And when I say XYZ, they try and like, you know, for instance, one of the common ones is, how do I teach women? Or how do I teach men? Or you know, something like that where they're painting with a very broad brush and in observing you and also in having conversations with you, it sounds like that you are just teaching individuals and and you're not, your schema is not set up for broad brush solutions to this. It's more of, like you said, uh, an individualized approach. Yeah, you know, it's uh, people are incredibly similar, incredibly different at the same time, and that's that's the hard thing about it. Um, you know, we talk a lot in, in coaching circles about people learning in different methods. Maybe they're a visual learner, maybe they're an auditory learner, maybe they're a kinesthetic learner. Um, but what I find the biggest problem with most coaches is they don't gather the information about the student. They may try to present their information in their most comfortable direction that they feel good in, so if you're a, if you're a looker, uh, if you like to see things, uh, the moment you step out of your car to come to my class, your head's going to come up, and you're going to look around, and you're going to make con- eye contact with everyone. Uh, 
So at that moment as a coach, I realized that whatever I say to you needs to be visually descriptive and it needs to communicate with you in the same way. If you're a listener, you'll usually tilt your head to the side and your hand will be near your face or your arm will be tucked underneath because you're trying to concentrate on the words. And really hard eye contact will actually make the listener uncomfortable. And then if you're a feeler, uh, which is much like my wife, uh, you're going to get a hug, you're going to get a handshake, you're going to get a pat on the back, and they're going to make a connection. So with the listener, I'm going to really go into concepts and, and words that make sense to them. But with a feeler, I'm going to describe actions. And this allows me with each person to bridge the gap and to meet them so that while they're learning a new skill, they don't have to learn how to communicate with me. I'm learning how to communicate with them and they can pick up the skill because I'm speaking their language at the same time. Well, it seems like that one of the things that would be necessary, well, there, there's several things that would be necessary in that, but as an instructor, you need to be incredibly comfortable with the material that you're trying to convey so that you can focus on gathering that information about your students um, just before, before you've even started teaching, right? Right. Yeah, you know, you have to you have to read the classroom. Uh, you have to watch people enter it. Uh, you have to greet them because basically that's your time to start gathering information that you can bridge the gap with them. Um, you know, noticing how, what their body posture is like, um, how they interact with other people. Uh, you know, there's uh, people are very different in their learning styles. Extroverts need a lot of energy. They need a lot of open space. They need a lot of flow. They need a lot of talk with each other. Introverts require a bit of solitude, um, a bit of uh, a place where they can reflect on the concepts that are being taught. And, you, you know, when you walk into a classroom or you start coaching a group of people, it's immediately apparent of, of what their learning styles are like. If you will simply not think this is what I'm going to do, but if you look and see what's actually in front of you, and then realize that what is needed is this particular approach with this person and this particular approach with this person. And basically, you get back to teaching in all three styles. You know, you're going to make sure you're visually descriptive. You're going to make sure that you use the right words with the listeners. And then you're going to make sure that you give some uh, sensation or feel descriptions into your, your, your coaching. And then same thing when you get on the line. You're, you know, you're working with different people. Some people need touch. Uh, some people don't like touch, you know. And uh, you start gathering this information really quick. But I think for the newer coach, uh, you're so worried about what you may say or do that you actually block yourself from receiving the information you need to do a good job. Well, and I, I have a couple follow-up questions with that, but we're coming up on the end of the segment. Um, so we'll, we'll just we'll put a pin in this for right this second. Uh, right, right now we're talking with Brian Hill from the, uh, complete combatant. You're listening to ballistic radio. Welcome back to ballistic radio brought to you by Centurion arms, hard use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson combat, Wilson combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scattergun since 1977, a legacy of quality innovation and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories as well as the EDC X9 series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity as well as reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Brian Hill from The Complete Combatant. And, you know, 
before the break, you were you you had sort of said that newer instructors, especially, are so concerned about what they're going to say or how they're going to say it that they miss some of those, I guess, context clues about the students that they're dealing with. My follow-up question for you would be, how important is it to, when you're creating lesson plans um, or, or course material in general, to have a very solid structure but also allow yourself room to adapt to the student base that you find yourself with? Yeah, you know, you, uh, you when you start a class, you can really read a lot about how you're connecting with the students quickly. Uh, I think the concepts remain firm, but the approach to them may be a little bit different with each group. Um, you know, sometimes, especially like with newer shooters, you have a lot of people who are there simply for uh, psychological reasons. They're, they're afraid right now. Uh, they want to... They want to find some way to defend themselves, but they're also afraid of that. And a lot of technical jargon and a lot of technical input simply doesn't bridge the gap with them, although they need that. They need to know how the manual of arms operates with the firearm. They need to know how to think about it. But I also have to create some sort of uh, base with them that allows them to bridge that bit of fear and apprehension and realize that, you know, uh, like David Yamin sure it is, you know, guns are normal. Right. Uh, that we can we can compare it to something that you already do well. And I find with students, if you simply ask them the right questions, they'll provide every bit of information you need from them. Um, and, you know, coaches sometimes supply the answer to the question in their own mind. But if we just ask someone, why are you here? What is your interest in this? And then listen to what is said or especially what is not said sometimes, which is even harder, um, you know, that they don't make eye contact with you, that they close off their body, that they're really concerned about this, um, then that allows us as, as coaches to reach out to them. I think it's incredibly important to be empathetic as a coach. Uh, you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And the longer you teach, the harder that gets to do because, you know, as you become a subject matter expert, then you have a lot of these answers and it becomes very commonplace to answer that. But one of the reasons I still teach basic classes is because it, it reminds me of the most important gun owners out there is the ones that are just coming into honing a gun. And I remember my first lesson, and it wasn't stellar. You know, the guy did a good enough job, but I want to give them the best lesson they've ever had, and I want them to have some time with a coach that actually really wants to connect with them and can possibly help them make good decisions towards their future goals in shooting. So what do you think the... You know, so we'll zoom out just a little bit, but yeah. what what do you think are the things that people need to know? Like like need to know well well before they get into um you know, which flashlight technique do I want to use in a low light environment? <laughs> or what are the what are the strengths and weaknesses of you know, strong wall CQB techniques compared to opposing corner. You, you know what I mean? So what, what are the, the foundational things that every, cl like, first class should include? Uh, it, you know, this is really simple, and I say it all the time on the range. You need to know how to safely handle the firearm so you're not a danger to yourself and others. Uh, the next thing is you need to know how to work the firearm, and that's part of safety. And that's, you know, that's an easy enough part in that segue. Then the next thing is we need to know how to hit the target. 
uh, because as the armed citizen, every shot we fire, we're responsible for. So we can't have a low level of accuracy. And once you get good at that, then we start efficiently doing what you're already doing and make it speed up a little bit for you. So handling the firearm, approaching the firearm, thinking about it is really, really important. And, and even at some of the you know intermediate levels, we see a real uh, lack of proper gun handling techniques. Yeah. Uh, I had a guy, you know, I had a guy come to the range the other day and I asked him about his optics and out comes his gun out of his pistol. Show me. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I had that recently as well. <laughs> you know, and they want to show you and they're excited, but nobody had ever told them, you know, so I made sure that right there we slowed everything down. And I said, I'm going to give you some information and I want you to really think about what I'm, I'm going to say to you. But, you know, if that gun's not going on target, I want you to keep it in your holster. And he said, well, I never thought about it like that. And I said, well, you're, you know, your holster is your safety mechanism that protects the trigger and it's going to allow you to carry it around. So we don't need to unnecessarily handle the gun. And the thing that I put home to all my students is that I'm probably in the most dangerous, probably in the most dangerous category of uh, firearm usage because I handle firearms 40 or 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy for me to make a mistake because I have a high level exposure and I'm also at the point where I feel like I'm pretty competent. And we find that people, once they feel like they're doing a good job, then they stop paying attention to it. So uh, I believe it was John Farnham said, if you didn't have an accident, you're on the way to one. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be incredibly safe and careful and explain it to uh, other people. But if you approach them and say, hey, put that gun away, you're not doing a good job with that. We shot them off really quick. Right. Um, you know, because we didn't know either. At right. some point in our careers, we did something really, really wrong or really crazy with it. And, uh, you know, gun handling is, boy, go to any gun shop and just watch it. It's horrifying. Well, and what's interesting to me, so one of the, one of the coursework that, that I do is, um, you know, and, and we could have a long tangential conversation about, like, what is intermediate, what is advanced. And I, I don't want to do that. But it is, it is certainly billed as an intermediate to advanced class, which, you know, the assumption is there is a certain level of proficiency before you show up to this course. Um, and I've, I've had multiple times now where, you know, before we ever handle a firearm, I, I give two things that if they happen, you will be done handling a gun in the class. You don't have to leave. Uh, you can stay and, you know, gather as much information as possible. But I don't feel comfortable in the student's ability to follow instructions in a way that um, is safe, right? And... The number of instances where I've 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 gone over those two things uh, multiple times, and then had people verbally repeat back to me in front of the class what the expectation is, and then for whatever reason, someone's poor habits are ingrained so deeply that even after that, they still, um, you know, make an error in judgment. It, it just goes to show, like how how important building those safe habits are into everything that we do when we have a firearm in our hands. Um, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it's always been interesting to me. Nobody hands you a knife and says, don't worry, it's dull. Mm-hmm. You know, but we hear a lot with firearms. Don't worry. This is not, not loaded. And there's kind of a, a checkout process. And then if we go back to the triad of technical skills, physiological responses and psychological responses, if we teach somebody a new technique and they're under stress or their heart rate's elevated 
and then they're full of apprehension, their ability to actually make decisions is grossly impaired at that time. Mm -hmm. And if we get them talking at the same time, then we can have all sorts of things because, you know, every fire instructor's had that one guy who gets nervous about something and starts talking with his hands while he has a firearm in there. And he's simply forgotten that the firearm exists in that moment. Right. Right. And and that's one of the reasons why um, something that I've had a lot of luck with and that I've tried to incorporate in everything that I do is I won't speak to people when they've got a gun in their hand uh, unless I have physical control. Usually I'll put my hand on their wrist. Um, Yeah. You know, and I, I've had a lot of luck with that. But let me let me sort of <clears throat> back up again and, and go a, a different direction with things just for a minute. Um, so you were talking about some of the fundamental things that, that should be included in, you know, coursework. What are the things that people should, should know or should get out of their first class? Let me Let me ask you this. Would you say in an ideal world before someone has even made the decision to arm themselves or live an armed lifestyle or, or however you would like to put it, that they would have um, a pretty solid understanding of the legalities involved? Like in an ideal it world, would, like before yeah. anyone ever showed up yeah. to a basic class, like they'd taken a use of force class. It would it would be wonderful. Um, you know, there's so much misinformation and so many myths that um, and once again, back to the triad, there's so many psychological reactions to f- uh, fear that a firearm is going to solve for people that they have no concept of what their legal requirements are mm-hmm. uh, and they have no idea what would be appropriate use of force. And, uh, you know, we all uh, there's always somebody apparently there's one police officer that tells everybody to shoot the guy outside and drag him back inside you know right. we all hear that story from that one bad police officer is giving advice uh you know and it's 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 always hard to overcome that part and it would be incredibly useful to have some sort of legal basis and you know what a force is but frankly um you know if you think outside of a small circle of instructors how many of us have really gone and found out what you know, legal information is available, have gone through, you know, either law self-defense or uh, some other course like Moss's lethal force instructor to improve themselves and really understand what it is so that they can help pass that on. And then sometimes people study so much on the law that they don't really handle firearms very well. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm very careful about not being a specialist in my field right. and being a generalist, because we're making a lot of decisions when it comes to uh, carrying a firearm on a daily basis. Right. Um, we got to go to break again. Right now we're talking with Brian Hill from The Complete Combatant, and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by bigtechsoutdoors.com. Bigtechsoutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from Modlite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and, well, now you need an optic on your pistol? BigTexOutdoors.com has those. Glock accessories? Yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike, too. 
Visit BigTechsOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're talking with Brian Hill from The Complete Combatant. And, and I have to say, Brian, that, um, you know, <laughs> after after having heard, like, the, the combat at, ant, like, story, <laughs> that every time I try and say the company's name, it's everything I can do not to put that break into it. Um, it's, it's, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, it's exceedingly difficult. Like, and, and now that I'm thinking about it, it's even harder. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to thank Shelly for that. So it's amazing how many literal people have never made the connection between combatant and combat ants. So, yeah. uh, we, we got tired of explaining <laughs> people going, why do you got a bug on your card? Yeah. Um, so we were talking a little bit about, I guess, um, it's sort of like a potpourri of what's a good class look like almost, and you know, thrown in with some, uh, some tips and tricks, I guess, for people that are, are starting to teach. But, you know, so we were talking about use of force law and illegalities and, you know, how important it is to not be specialized as an instructor. Um, and, and, you know, to full disclosure, I am, I'm more specialized than I would like to be, you know, I know very, very little, um, about, um, combatives. I know, I know a little about medical stuff. I know a little bit more about use of force, but, but most of, most of my stuff has been, um, you know, pre-assault, and shooting itself and, and tactics and things like that. So that's that's a deficiency that I recognize and that I, I work on, right? Um, but I, I guess my, my question would be, <laughs> and again, this is like the ADHD because the thing I just said has <laughs> nothing to do with my actual question. So I apologize to everyone listening. And I apologize to you, Brian. But, but going back to the, the legalities and the, the use of force thing, um, what people don't seem to understand is like how incredibly nuanced that can be in regards to, yeah, maybe, maybe someone has the ability to, to harm you. Maybe someone has the opportunity to harm you and maybe you're even in jeopardy, but there are things that you can do unknowingly ahead of time that are going to make all those things not matter in the eyes of the law, you know, as far as the preclusion phase mm. of things. And, and it seems like people miss out on that, yeah? Yeah, you know, you lose your innocence by being an aggressor. Uh, that's one thing that people really have a hard time understanding. Um, you know, you if you if you start the fight, it, you have to actually be able to withdraw and not, not a strategic withdrawal, but you have to be able to withdraw and reestablish your innocence. So if you're carrying a firearm, you have to be incredibly careful how you engage in in things around you. And, and I think for most people, um, you know, especially when they get a concealed carry permit, they feel the heavy responsibility of that and they tend to be more law abiding about it, but it's incredibly important not to have, uh, you know, you have to get control of your temper. Yeah. Uh, you have to be careful of road rage. Uh, you have to be careful of what situations you insert yourself into um, because it dramatically changes the nature of a conflict. If you bring a, bring a firearm into the middle of a, an argument, um, 
And that's one thing that's really tough with people. And then, of course, proportionality is really hard with a, a lot of people. Right. You know, what is a proportionate amount of force for them to use? And, you know, it's one of the reasons we teach a pepper spray class, because we think it's just as important as a firearm. Yeah. Well, and so the other thing, too, and I don't want to get into the specifics of the case, because it's recent enough that not all of the information, um, I, I suspect a lot of the information that's publicly available is not accurate. But essentially, um, you know, an individual at a... Uh, very public place. You you know which one I'm talking about, but I want to try and dance around it a little bit. Um, you know, again, because I don't want to be irresponsible in in what I'm talking about. But from a legal perspective, it's actually really intriguing. Uh, it, it's a tragedy all around, but it's still intriguing. And essentially, you know, all of the elements of oh yeah, that guy needed to shoot in that moment, or he was probably going to die, or at least he had a reasonable. Uh, belief that he was going to die. But the fact that he was there at all is going to be incredibly problematic from a legal perspective. And there, and there's other things attached to it. And, you know, anyone watching the news when they listen to this will probably be able to figure out which one I'm talking about. But, you know, sometimes, especially in public, and especially with how the world is right now, um, you can be right and awfully wrong at the same time. You, you know what I mean? I do. You know, it comes back to Claude's pre-need decision-making. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've got to make good decisions in advance. And any time you put yourself in a bad situation, you're going to make reactive decisions. And then it gets much harder to articulate and authenticate why you did what you did. Um, because people are going to judge where you're at and what you did instead of, uh, you know, is it in the, under the color of law? Um, and, you know, it's one of the things that we really try to emphasize in our classes is that um, good decisions in advance are really important. And, you know, bad decisions that are reactive just continually cascade into a worse effect yeah. and, and how important it is to think ahead, you know, simply think ahead. Because that's what personal protection is anyway. That's why we're carrying a gun. We're thinking ahead with life-saving equipment. Yeah. Well, and it seems, too, that I... You know, and, and I've been beating this drum over and over again on recent shows because I'm noticing this trend that is incredibly concerning to me. And, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to talk about this with William April before he passed away. Um, and I, I think that, you know, with the way the world has been, this year specifically. So th this year is has, has sort of created, for lack of a better word, this tension. Uh, and, you know, William called it um, this sort of ambient violence that's floating around where you're not necessarily concerned about the typical violent criminal actor. Um, you're concerned about just violence that is floating around in the air, for lack of a better word. But mm -hmm. it seems like people everywhere are much more okay with the idea that they might get into a violent encounter. And it's not necessarily that they're looking for it, though in some cases they are. And it's not necessarily that they're eager for it, though in some cases they are. But they're much more accepting, like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, sure, okay. And, and it strikes me, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it, that people don't understand 
what a, you know, life-altering thing it's going to be if you have to use a gun, especially right now. And, and it's got nothing to do with right or wrong. It has nothing to do with, you know, morality and everything to do with just like current events almost. Um, do you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the repercussions of the use of force are, are threefold for us. Of course, we have the legal part, part, part of it that's really important. And then, of course, there's a the financial part of it, too, because it's going to require a great deal of money uh, if you're charged with anything to, you know, make bond and to retain an attorney. And uh, the amount of it is staggering to the mind. But then there's the moral implications. Can you live with what you did? And these decisions are made in tenths or quarters of seconds. And uh, you can alter the direction and the course and the flow of your life simply by inserting yourself into a place where you have to make a split-second decision. And if you don't have enough timing or training in that environment to understand what is important, um, how can you make a good decision? Um, you know, it's it all sounds good, and I think a lot of it is, you know, glamorization. We, we see uh, a lot of things that glamorize violence, but take it from somebody who has fought, who has bounced, who has worked in law enforcement. Um, fighting is brutal, and it's immediate. And uh, to quote Yellowstone, sometimes you have to get meaner than evil, but it's tough, and it, it carries a price. And uh, I had a mixed martial arts event. I hit a guy on the ground with an elbow to the orbital rim of his eye, and it crushed underneath my elbow. And to this day, if you crack a walnut, that's the only thing that comes into my mind. I hear that. It takes me right back to that place. So you can only imagine what happens if you, you're u- using lethal force and you're, you're forced into a situation and you, you make a decision like that. I think people have to really think about what they value in life, and that means what they love, who they're willing to protect, and to what ends they're willing to go for that. And it becomes a pretty small circle of things that you're willing to not kill for, but to give your life for, because that's what's really on the line. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you ask criminals, are they willing to kill for something? They'll say, absolutely. If you ask them if they're willing to die for it, it changes the dynamic of the conversation. And then for the, for the good, good person, it is always, if you engage in violence, there's a strong chance that you may not survive it either. And that's what we're we're putting ourselves on the line with that. And, um, you know, too many people in life count on us. We have children, we have spouses, and we have people that love us, and they want us to come home. And uh, your absence in the world will leave a hole uh, that nobody else can fill. And uh, I got the chills when I said that because I'm thinking about William April right now because yeah. there was a, a mind that doesn't exist in, the, in our community. There was a person who had deep insight and had a um, – a descriptive value of just like you're saying, you know, an air of violence that's floating around. And he would say things that suddenly got people to turn on and they would go, Oh my gosh, I've never thought of that before. And so he'll be greatly missed for that. And I I think it's important for all of us to dwell a bit at what we're risking um, and, and what we're willing to fight for. And I think we always need to act out of love and not fear and hate. Right. Well, and, you know, I think there's another consideration, too, that that, you know, oftentimes when we have this conversation sort of gets left out. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's time for the break again. So I will I will leave people with that like teaser and then we'll get right into it. Um, So right now we're talking with Brian Hill from the Complete Combatant. 
You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Um, so we're talking with Brian Hill from The Complete Combatant. And so one of the things that uh, uh, that I think, you know, maybe gets left out or, or just people don't talk about because it's sort of macabre, um, but... You know, every time like the cost of violence gets brought up, one of the things is, you know, there's there's a cost associated with it. And and I think what people need to understand is, you know, I I am absolutely certain there is someone listening to this show right now that thinks to themselves, yeah, if I had to shoot somebody, I wouldn't be bothered by it at all. You know, that like emotionally, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe that's true. Um, uh, you know, maybe Maybe there are many people that are listening to this that have ice water running through their veins and, and won't, won't be bothered by it. And, and I'm, I'm not saying you should be or shouldn't be. So what I am saying, though, is that I know for a fact, unless a very, very narrow set of circumstances occurs right now in today's environment, that if I have to use a firearm to defend myself or one of my loved ones, that the amount of scrutiny that I'm going to be placed under is going to be massive, um, massive in a way that, you know, I don't think people understand what that's like. And I'm not saying I understand what that's like either because I haven't had it happen to me, thank God. But, you know, having a national spotlight put on you, having, you know, having your your name be reviled, even if you did the right thing. And I think people miss out on that as they assume that, well, I'm the good guy. You might be the good mm-hmm. guy. That doesn't mean that's what people are going to remember. And there's all these instances we have where you know, especially people that know what they're talking about, look at, look at the situation and go, yeah, that was completely justified. That was morally justified. That was legally justified. And it was necessary. And those people still get thrown under the bus. Um, and then the bus like drives over top of them, throws it in reverse, runs over them again, and then catches on fire and explodes while it's on top of them. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and do you think, do you think maybe that bears a little bit of thought, maybe more thought than people give it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a stigmata um, or the mark of Cain, if you will, um, you know, with acts of violence. And uh, some people are macabrely interested in it, but it will affect how your community views you. There's no doubt about that. We have enough, uh, you know, stories of people's lives being just destroyed uh, by people that will judge you. Um, for your actions and find you guilty before all the facts are known and you have to live with that and it'll affect your children it'll affect your wife it'll affect whoever's in your in your life and it's something to really think about is uh, you know like you and I were on social media a lot and the things that people say on social media just in regards to you know technical applications of skill I can only imagine if they had a real reason to feel like they hated me they would say yeah you know, because it, that and it's hard to take sometimes, you know, it, it weighs on you. And I can only imagine what it would feel like if the whole world was turned against you like that. It would be a very isolated place um, and it, it's going to take a toll on your life. 
Um, there's no doubt about that. And uh, if it doesn't, that would be also horrifying too, because you're not feeling anything anymore. Um, and I, you know, I think I know my experiences with most people I train, they're just good people that want to get home safely. Yeah. And, um, you know, protective service detail, if you use your firearm, you failed. Yeah. Um, you know, we got to emphasize the soft skills. We have to use threat detection. We have to understand how we're being selected. We have to make sure we're being deselected. We have to give ourselves room to maneuver. We need to live in the future a little bit. So we have time to do a better job. And, uh, and that's what training's about. And the good news is if you, if you seek out good training, uh, you're probably never going to have to use it because it puts you in a position of where you start to deselect yourself by standing up straighter and paying attention to your environment and being better. And I, I would hope, um, people would understand that this is something they want to avoid at all cost, um, but also to be prepared for in case it does come their way. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, an interesting thought exercise, and, and I would like for everyone listening to, you know, do this thought exercise. Would you want everyone or the vast majority of people in the country to know who you were? Not Not for a good <laughs> reason, not for a bad reason, but just would you want that? Would you want to mm-hmm. be recognizable, Period. Like, you know, think of like celebrities and like how that impacts mm-hmm. their lives. And those, they, I mean, I know it's, I know it's hard to imagine sometimes, but they're people too, you know? Um, and clearly it takes a toll uh, when you look at how many of them just have incredibly messed up lives. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's for like good stuff. Like people know who you are for something good. And and people knowing who you are for something that is seen as bad, like I I can't I can't even comprehend that fully. Um, you know we're we're in the last segment of the show and we're we're sort of approaching the end of everything. What you know, especially right now, and I know you've talked about like the soft skills and just avoiding things, but what would you say you know for the instructors that are listening? It, what should they be emphasizing right now maybe that isn't readily apparent or would, you know, what would be something that you'd want to remind them of to, to focus on in their classes, especially with the number of new gun owners that are sort of entering into things? I think, uh, you know, as, as, as coaches, as teachers, um, we're also people that can direct people to other sources of information. Uh, it's very important to cite your sources when you're giving information in class. So you avoid what Tom Given says that 80% all facts are made up on the spot, <laughs> you know, yeah. and make sure that everybody in your, and that you give them a direction because it's happened to all of us uh, where somebody says, Hey, you really should go take this class or you should seek this information. And here's some reasons why it might resonate with you. Um, if you can't do it yourself, make sure that you actually, you know, have a list of, attributions on your page of things that you say or people that you've learned from. Make sure you have a list of resources that would be broader than just the basic skills of shooting. And try to engage the student in the totality of events instead of the technical skills alone. And uh, that's, a, that's a really big uh, request, um, but it's, it's necessary because what we are doing is incredibly important um, to somebody somewhere. And uh, it's going to make all the difference to them. And you only have that one chance to make that connection with them and to get them to think a little differently. Uh, and I think that's really, 
the coach's job is to open your mind to the possibilities of possibility. How can I get better at things? What do I need to know? What am I missing right now? And then you go from the teacher to the counselor or the advocate, because that's what we do is we advocate for people's success. And, uh, you know, a short entry-level class can't do that, but if you carry yourself in a professional manner and you act like a teacher and you cite your sources and you give them information to follow up on and you engage them with questions and listen to what they're saying, I think you'll you'll have a really different experience in the classroom instead of just pouring out technical information and hoping it stays with them because our attention spans, what, about 15 or 20 seconds? Yeah. And then it recycles each time. So, uh some of ours yeah, is less, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it seems like, too, that, and, and I think, I, I don't know this is true, but I have run into this, that it's massively important if you are wanting to do this well and wanting to do it seriously, that you yourself keep trying to grow as as a coach, instructor, teacher, what whatever label you want to give yourself, wouldn't wouldn't you say? Yeah, my my stoic quote of the day that popped up was, "If you're not embarrassed of who you were last year, you're not learning enough." Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're at. You know, you've always got to be growing. Um, how many times have things changed? Uh, just for the two of us where we get new information and you're like, boy, I really was off base and I have to change and I have to learn and I have to grow. Um, You know, as a martial arts instructor for four decades, you can only imagine the amount of crazy change that happened in my life from, you know, very mystical style karate to the UFC coming along to really sports, sports performance now and having fighters that really take nutrition and sleep and everything seriously. So uh, know that you're going to change, know that you're going to grow. Well, and also too, I I think that, and, and so this is very personal for me, but, but when I say grow too, I'm I'm not necessarily saying, Hey, go and take more classes to learn how to do more stuff inside of this, Mm -hmm. which I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't. In fact, you should, Mm -hmm. but like, Making a concerted effort to just be a better person on on top of everything like that that's something very near and dear to me right now um you know and i'm I'm embarrassed that it wasn't sooner, but it is now, so and that's all I can control but like that as well is something that everyone should be thinking about, hopefully right you know the the microcosm of practice is one of the greatest places to confront the demons that ride your back um, from temper to uh, being impatient. Uh, that's the place where people can really refine and grow themselves and start to think deeply. Um, some people laugh at my practice schedule because it's really intense, but my wife says it centers me and allows me to be a better person. So uh, find what works for you and spend some time in self-reflection of who you are and how you could grow and, um, you know, understand yourself so that when your reactions come out, you can make a better decision because we all have shortcomings in that department. Yeah. Um, so if people want to train with you or find out more about uh, what you do, where can they do that at, Brian? Well, uh, thecompletecombatant.com, nice and easy. All the social media is there, so you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and everything like that. My wife does a wonderful job with that. And uh, be traveling a little bit, and then we have our own range up in Nalanica. Uh, where we teach classes every weekend. So um, we've kind of lowered our round count since 2020 has been a little rough rough on the ammo market. And uh, we're working people in a little more depth 
of dry practice and helping to make better decisions and trying to broaden our curriculum a little bit to give them a better better value with fewer rounds. Sweet. Um, well, I, I will say this before we go. Um, if you're listening to this and and if um, if you're thinking about where you want to go take a class, um, I, I can say, you know, and not that I haven't seen amazing instructors because I've seen quite a few amazing instructors and, and uh, there, there's quite a bit of value of taking those classes too. But I can genuinely say that if someone like held a gun to my head and said, who's the best instructor that you've ever seen teaching this stuff, uh, your name would probably be the one that popped into my head first. So uh, for the listeners, if you have the opportunity to go train uh, with Brian and Shelly, I cannot recommend that enough. So uh, un- unpaid endorsement well, there. So, Thank you. That's an incredible statement. Um, you, you've lifted my spirits with that. Uh, We'll continue working on it and try to get better and better. But thank you very much. That means a lot coming from you. Yeah, no, no worries, dude. You, you, you earned it. I'm just pointing it out. So, anyway, thanks, <laughs> thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate you coming on the show and talking to everybody today. It was a pleasure. All right, As always. Yeah, thanks, man. Hey, make sure you check out our website, ballisticradio.com. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com/ballisticradio. And hey, keep leaving those five star review on iTunes if you think we've earned it. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.